0: The People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on nutrition, health, and medicine. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, my People Scientist army, and welcome back to the People Scientist podcast, where every week I arm you with the latest scientific findings on nutrition, health, and medicine so that you can lead the healthy life that you want to live. This month is a listener request month, where I investigate topics that are specifically asked for by my listeners. This week, this week, I would say was a doozy. I put in at least 30 hours in preparation for this episode because this topic that I'm about to share with you today has so many conflicting studies that it took a lot of time to go through in order to try and find some final conclusions and helpful information and answers for all of you. But in the end, I think I have found some interesting tidbits backed up by some strong science. So for today's episode, I was asked to cover information on low testosterone levels in men, and how someone can raise their testosterone levels in a healthful manner. But this episode is not just about testosterone because we also discuss Alzheimer's disease, diabetes, inflammation, our glymphatic system or waste removal system of the brain, as well as the science of sleep. So I think there's a little bit of information that will relate to everyone. So let's start off with some core takeaways. Testosterone production declines in men as they age and can be low for a multitude of reasons. Low testosterone levels are associated with a higher risk of Alzheimer's disease, depression, and obesity. Low testosterone is often accompanied by other characteristics in men, such as central adiposity or stomach fat, insulin resistance and diabetes, sleep apnea, and poor quality sleep. There is very conflicting evidence on how to naturally raise testosterone levels, but the strongest data is in support of exercise, obtaining a healthy body weight, and promoting high quality sleep. But the reasoning behind these particular suggestions is fascinating, and hopefully will lead to a better understanding of how diabetes, Alzheimer's, testosterone, inflammation, and sleep are all connected. So let's jump into the details now. Testosterone is a sex hormone that is present in both men and women, but testosterone is about 8 times higher in men versus women. Testosterone is produced from the cholesterol in our body and is considered a anabolic hormone, meaning that it promotes muscle growth. Throughout this episode, you may hear me mention SHBG, or sex hormone binding globulin, This protein binds testosterone and estrogen and essentially renders them inactive. So SHBG determines the amount of active free hormone in our body. So if SHBG is very high, this typically means that there is less active testosterone in our body. So today we are focusing on low testosterone levels, what it means for health, and how one can raise their levels naturally. So why should we care if men have low testosterone? Well, low testosterone is associated with a higher risk for depression, Alzheimer's disease, muscle mass loss, being overweight, having elevated levels of small dense LDL, which is the particularly bad type of cholesterol, and a higher risk of inflammation and diabetes. So unfortunately, having very low testosterone does put one at risk for a higher risk Of having some comorbidities and conditions. Several cross-sectional studies show a decline of serum total testosterone concentration with increasing age. In one study, the European male aging study included 3,220 men aged 40 to 79 years and the serum total testosterone concentration fell by 0.4% per year. In a second study, a gradual decline in testosterone concentration was seen after the age of 35, with a more marked decline after the age of 80 in men. SHBG concentrations increase gradually as a function of age. The clinical implication of this is because SHBG binds testosterone with high infinity, that with increasing age then, it therefore means that there is less free testosterone or less biologically active testosterone as one ages. It's also important to note that SHBG is lower at all ages in obese men versus non-obese men. So obesity puts individuals at a higher risk for having less active testosterone. Rosario in 2004 found that brain levels of testosterone are significantly lower in patients with Alzheimer's disease compared to control subjects. Rosario, as well as Verdile in 2014, noted that brain levels of testosterone are also significantly reduced in men with mild neuropathology consistent with early stage Alzheimer's. And as a result, testosterone should be considered while attempting to predict Alzheimer's disease risk at early stages of Alzheimer's disease. Liv, in the year 2016, carried out a meta-analysis and concluded that low plasma testosterone levels were significantly associated with an increased risk of Alzheimer's disease in elderly men. So I would say that the scientific evidence is quite strong showing that there is a link between testosterone and Alzheimer's disease and cognitive function. But why do testosterone levels drop? Well, it could be for many reasons. Number one, there could be simply a lower production of testosterone from cholesterol. Number two, it could be because of an increased uptake by soluble hormone binding globulin, which renders testosterone inactive. And number three, it could be because of an increased conversion of testosterone to other molecules such as estrogen. Kapoor in 2007 noted that body mass index and waist circumference were both significantly and negatively correlated with testosterone levels in men, with the association being stronger for waist circumference. So it means that if someone has a bigger stomach, then it is associated with them having lower testosterone levels. Cohen in 1999 reported how central obesity or stomach obesity is associated with increased aromatase activity which is the enzyme that converts testosterone to estrogen. So in individuals with a large amount of fat surrounding the stomach, they may have low testosterone because it is being converted to estrogen. In 2014, Tang Fui reported that moderate obesity predominantly decreased total testosterone due to insulin resistance. So now there's also a connection of insulin resistance and diabetes to testosterone. Pitt Loud in 2005 reported that men with greater insulin sensitivity tended to have higher free testosterone levels than men with prediabetes or diabetes. And more severe obesity is additionally associated with greater reductions in free testosterone levels. And they provide that the information or the reason because of this is due to the suppression of the hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis. Low testosterone by itself also leads to adiposity, so it really creates a self-perpetuating vicious cycle of metabolic complications. So the next logical question is, if someone has lower testosterone levels, how can one naturally increase their testosterone? Well, first, let's look at diet and nutrition. Now, I'll be honest with you, I spent alone about 20 hours just going through the nutrition studies that looked at the effects of testosterone, and my final conclusion is that the effect of diet and testosterone is its just not clear. There are many conflicting studies where some show benefit and others show no benefit for the same intervention, or the studies are not well designed, such as not including proper controls or not taking testosterone measurements at baseline before beginning the dietary intervention. So it was really hard for me to make strong conclusions based on some of these papers. But nevertheless, let's briefly go through some of the nutrition studies to illustrate what I mean. Some would argue that a high-fat diet may promote testosterone production because testosterone is produced from the fat and cholesterol in our body, after all. So to support this, Hamanin in 1983 reported in a clinical trial consisting of 30 men who started a low-fat, high-fiber diet exhibited a significant reduction in blood testosterone levels which was reversed when they returned to their normal eating habits. Then 13 years later, Dorgan replicated a similar similar clinical trial and recruited 43 healthy men, and they carried out a crossover design where all the men ate a high-fiber, low-fat diet and the opposite, a low-fiber, high-fat diet. Now, the participants were on each diet for 10 weeks. The scientists noted that there was a trend for total testosterone to be lower on the low-fat, high-fiber diet, but this was not significantly different. Unfortunately, the scientists did not measure baseline testosterone, so we do not know if these diets induced changes from baseline, which would have been a really beneficial readout. So does a low-fat diet cause low testosterone? The conclusion is maybe, not sure yet. How about the opposite? Does a high-fat diet promote testosterone? Ovolek and colleagues in 2001 investigated the effects of a high-fat ketogenic diet in a pilot study of 11 men. They noted that there was a significant reduction one hour after the high-fat, rich meal for total testosterone and free testosterone by 22%, which remained significantly below baseline for eight hours. But after eating a high-fat ketogenic diet for eight weeks the testosterone responses after the meals were not significantly different. So it appeared as though the body adapted to the high-fat diet after eight weeks, and after eight weeks, they no longer saw that suppression in testosterone after eating. But then Wilson, in 2017, investigated the effects of a ketogenic diet in 25 healthy college men that were a part of a resistance training exercise program. They noted that the ketogenic diet increased testosterone levels by 118 nanograms per deciliter by week 10, whereas the typical Western diet reduced testosterone by 36 nanograms per deciliter. So does a high-fat diet increase testosterone? It is possible, but there are some conflicting studies. But I do have to say that this last study I just mentioned was better designed and more recent then the study conducted by Volek in 2001. If you're interested in learning more about a ketogenic or high-fat diet, you can go back to episode 4 of this podcast. Just make sure that if you are to increase fat sources in your diet, to make sure to look for healthy sources of fat, such as, for example, from nuts, seeds, and cold-pressed omega-3 oils, such as cold-pressed flax oil. Just remember not to cook with flax oil as it will cause lipid peroxidation, which we don't want. And I covered lipid peroxidation and oils in an earlier episode. So if you're interested, just give that a listen. Now there is some debate about isoflavones or phytoestrogens that can be found, for example, in soy products and their impact on hormone and testosterone levels. When rats fed with high amounts of isoflavones, they did see a reduction in plasma testosterone, and this was published by Weber in 2001. But other studies, for example, by Lund in 2001, Leapheart in 2003, or Wang in 2004, reported no changes in testosterone with isoflavone intake in rodent studies. Barino in 2001 reported that consumption of of a soy-rich diet reduced free testosterone in men. But then other studies, for example, by Selick in 2007 or Lowe in 2007, found no effect on free testosterone, but actually an increase in total serum testosterone with soy or isoflavone products. They speculated the reason why soy may increase testosterone is because it increases SHBG synthesis, which consequently enhances the uptake of free testosterone, and the body says, hey, you're taking up the free testosterone, so we need to, need to make more testosterone. But in the end, because the data is so conflicting on isoflavones and soy products, I think the verdict is still out on the effect of soy intake on testosterone. But there appears to be a few more studies showing no effect or a slight improvement versus those showing a decrease in testosterone. But just remember, as with everything, moderation is key, including soy products. Now, some websites and people also promote certain vitamins and minerals in raising testosterone. So let's take a look at the data there. Pills and colleagues in the year 2011 conducted a one-year clinical trial in 54 men that were vitamin D deficient and had testosterone levels at the lower end of the normal range. And noted that supplementing with 3,000 IU of vitamin D every day significantly increased free testosterone by 20%, total testosterone by 25%, and bioactive testosterone by 20%. Now keep in mind that one should not exceed 4,000 IU per day because that's the tolerable upper intake level unless otherwise directed by your physician. NIMSH in 2012 observed that in over 1,300 men, there was a positive correlation between plasma vitamin D levels and testosterone. So these first two studies show that vitamin D therefore may promote or have a positive impact on testosterone but Jord and colleagues in 2013 noted that in subjects without significant vitamin D deficiency, there was no increase in serum testosterone after high-dose vitamin D supplementation. Heibauer in 2015 also noted that vitamin D supplementation did not increase serum testosterone levels in men. So vitamin D may only increase testosterone in those that have low vitamin D levels or vitamin D sufficiency to begin with. Another micronutrient some people say promotes testosterone levels is zinc. Netter in 1980 investigated if zinc supplementation would increase testosterone and male fertility. 37 patients were asked to take a supplement of zinc sulfate of 120 mg twice daily. Only in those males with testosterone levels below 4.8 nanograms per milliliter did they see a rise in testosterone. In men with testosterone above this at baseline, they did not see a significant increase in testosterone. In 1992, Hunt noted that removing zinc mostly from the diet of young men dropped their plasma testosterone levels by 20%. But Kohler in 2009 reported that in healthy young men, zinc supplementation did not change testosterone levels. So in the end, zinc may only help those with particularly low testosterone levels. Magnesium is also often brought up for promoting testosterone production. For example, Maggio in 2011 reported that in a cohort of older men, magnesium levels are strongly and independently associated with testosterone. But when it comes to the clinical intervention studies, the data is not strong magnesium supplementation benefiting testosterone levels. For example, CINAR in 2010 recruited 30 healthy young men and investigated the effects of magnesium supplementation and exercise on testosterone. They looked at 10 milligrams per kilogram body weight in the form of magnesium sulfate. In the end, the scientists noted that exercise was the greatest contributor to increasing testosterone, and the magnesium supplementation was not better than the control group that did not receive magnesium supplementation. So in the end, Exercise was much better and magnesium seemed to have no impact. So then this begs the question, does exercise improve testosterone levels? The good news is many clinical trials report that weight loss or exercise does indeed increase testosterone levels. For example, in 2010, Vingren published a review in the journal Sports Medicine that detailed how heavy resistance training causes an acute spike in testosterone levels. Another example includes a study by Niskanen in 2004 in which they conducted a clinical trial looking at the impact of weight loss on testosterone in 58 men that had abdominal obesity or excess fat around their stomach and also had metabolic syndrome. Now metabolic syndrome is defined as having at least three of the following, abdominal obesity, high fasting triglycerides, low good cholesterol, high blood pressure, or elevated fasting blood sugar levels. The men were put on a very strict diet of only 900 calories plus lots of vegetables for nine weeks. Then they were followed for one year to assist with and follow their weight loss maintenance. The men on average dropped 16 kilograms or 35 pounds in nine weeks, and they were able to keep off on average 88% of this weight after one year. After this intense period of weight loss, beneficial effects were seen in all parameters, including a reduced waist circumference, improved insulin sensitivity, reduced fasting sugars, cholesterol, and most importantly, this weight loss increased their total and free testosterone levels. At baseline, 48% of the men had low total testosterone, but after the weight loss period, that percentage dropped to 9%. And these improvements were sustained well after one year of maintenance. So I would say overall, the clinical data supports weight loss and exercise for promoting healthy testosterone levels. Another cause of low testosterone levels could be inflammation. Maggio in 2005 reported that chronic inflammation is associated with lower testosterone levels. Now, based on all of my knowledge and education on inflammation and oxylipins, which is something I specialized in in graduate school, The scientific evidence supports eating sources of omega-3 fatty acids, for example, from salmon, sardines, flaxseed, flax oil, chia seed, and walnuts, and how omega-3s can help reduce chronic inflammation. In addition, vitamin C, increasing vegetable intake, and reducing sugar intake in fast food and processed foods can also lower inflammation in our body. As a result, indirectly, this may help improve testosterone levels. Another big factor in testosterone levels is sleep. After all of my reading on this topic, this is what I found to be the most interesting. Testosterone levels rise during sleep, particularly during deep sleep called REM or rapid eye movement sleep. In young adult men, testosterone levels begin to rise on falling asleep, peak at about the time of the first REM or deep sleep, and they remain at the same levels until awakening. Then testosterone levels drop during being awake. As a result, if sleep is compromised, testosterone levels drop. Lee Prout in 2011 noted that in a tightly controlled study in young healthy men, sleep restriction from 9 hours a night to 5 hours per night for one week reduced testosterone levels by 10-15%. to Lubot in 2013 observed that the rise in testosterone levels was slower when the time it took to get into REM or deep sleep took longer. So to have healthy testosterone levels, one needs to make sure that they get enough quality sleep. More importantly, as I read through all of these studies, it dawned on me that sleep is really the connection between Alzheimer's disease, obesity, insulin resistance, and testosterone levels. Lack of sleep is also associated with poor eating habits, obesity, inflammation, and diabetes. So clearly, all of these are connected with one another. For example, melatonin is a very important hormone that helps us fall asleep. Melatonin is anti-inflammatory. And in states of chronic inflammation, as a result, melatonin gets used up and can reduce our ability to fall asleep then if melatonin is reduced. So reducing inflammation may help maintain healthy melatonin levels, and therefore can help us sleep better, which would help promote healthy testosterone levels. Sleep is very important because it is during sleep that our brain clears itself of metabolic waste. This system that does this is called the glymphatic system. The glymphatic system is absolutely essential for the normal functioning of the brain. Most importantly, beta amyloid plaques, which are implicated in the cause and progression of Alzheimer's disease, is cleared out from the brain by the glymphatic system during deep sleep. The glymphatic system is a recently discovered waste clearance system that utilizes a unique system of perivascular tunnels formed by these cells called astroglial cells. And these promote the efficient elimination of soluble proteins and metabolites from our brain and central nervous system. But besides waste elimination, the glymphatic system also facilitates the transportation of really helpful components for our brain to function properly. For example, the glymphatic system helps transport glucose, lipids, amino acids, growth factors, and neuromodulators throughout the brain as well. And the important thing is that the glymphatic system functions mainly during sleep and most importantly during deep sleep and is largely inhibited or not active while we are awake. Now, Nettergaard is a scientist that is really at the head of this research of the glymphatic system. And she published in the journal Science in 2013 that metabolic wastes, including beta amyloid produced by the brain that increases the risk of Alzheimer's is cleared out at a much faster rate during deep sleep in mice than it is during wake hours. So if deep sleep is compromised, then the removal of metabolic waste and beta amyloid from the brain is also compromised. Fascinatingly, Matthew Walker's group observed that sleep and Alzheimer's are very tightly connected. So again, let let me remind you that beta amyloid is the sticky protein in the brain that is implicated in the cause and progression of Alzheimer's. Now, the first brain region that beta amyloid builds up in and builds up most severely in is called the medial prefrontal cortex. Now, this brain region is a higher order brain region that controls decision making and plays a role in memory consolidation. Interestingly, Matthew Walker observed that it is during deep sleep that this brain region has the greatest electrical activity that is responsible for generating deep sleep. So if beta amyloid is building up in this brain region, then it can reduce the ability for deep sleep. But as we age, our deep sleep also reduces. We know that as we age, our sleep patterns change and we sleep less. But if our deep sleep reduces, then our ability to retain memories and clear out the beta amyloid plaques also reduces. Thus, it is a vicious circle. Beta-amyloid buildup reduces deep sleep, and reduced deep sleep reduces the lymphatic system activity and the clearance of beta-amyloid. The good news is beta-amyloid can be cleared from the brain via the lymphatic system if we can obtain deep sleep. So we need to make sure to do what we can in order to obtain that deep sleep. But how do we do that? So here are Dr. Matthew Walker, Matthew Walker's suggestions for quality sleep. It is suggested for us to obtain seven to nine hours of sleep per night. Exercise is important as well as exposing ourselves to daylight during the day. If living in a dark environment, purchasing a full-spectrum white light lamp and using it in the morning may be beneficial to set our circadian rhythm and sleeping patterns. Dr. Walker also suggests to go to bed and wake up at the same time every day, even after a bad night's sleep or on the weekend. He also suggests to keep the bedroom temperature cool. About 65 degrees Fahrenheit is optimal for cooling down the body towards sleep. He also suggests wearing socks on your feet if you are cold. Taking a warm shower or bath before bed can aid in sleep quality because it will cause your blood vessels on your skin to dilate, and the blood flow as a result to move away from your inner core, and go toward your skin as a result your core temperature will drop and that can aid in better sleep quality Dr Walker also suggested an hour before bedtime dim the lights and turn off all screens TV screens computer screens and phone screens particularly because all these screens emit blue light which can keep us awake In some scenarios for example on the iPhone there is a setting where you can change the backlighting from cool blue tones to warm tones which can help us fall asleep because the blue tones are what keep us awake. It is also suggested to use blackout curtains or eye masks for sleeping and they can be helpful because they reduce our light exposure during sleep. If you can't fall asleep it is suggested to get out of bed and do something quiet and relaxing in a dark room until the urge to sleep returns and then you can go back to bed. It is suggested to avoid caffeine after 1 p.m. and to avoid alcohol before bed as well, as alcohol acts as a sedative, and sedation is not the same thing as sleep, because alcohol can actually block our ability to enter into that REM deep sleep, and this is the most important part of the sleep cycle when the lymphatic system is most active, and that is also when testosterone levels rise the most. So we wanna make sure to get into that deep sleep. Dr. Walker also says that prescription sleeping pills are not helpful because they also prevent good quality REM sleep. Now my suggestion that I'm going to throw in here is that in order to to obtain healthful sleep, we need to reduce our inflammation. As, As I mentioned earlier, inflammation increases the breakdown of melatonin, which is important for sleep onset. And I discussed this in our Brain on Junk Food episode as well. Scientific evidence supports eating omega-3s, vitamin C, vegetables, and reducing sugar intake and fast food processed foods in order to lower inflammation in our body. So there you have it. There is the data on testosterone. After all of my reading that I've done on this topic, I have come to the conclusion that testosterone, sleep, inflammation, insulin sensitivity, body weight, memory, and risk of Alzheimer's disease all seem to be very connected and related. For example, obesity, lack of exercise, and inflammation can reduce quality sleep. And low-quality sleep can reduce testosterone levels and increase the risk of poor diet, obesity, diabetes, and Alzheimer's, which further negatively impact sleep quality. So they're all connected and really create a cycle with one another. So in order to maintain healthy testosterone levels and overall health, one needs to obtain a healthy weight, lower fat mass around the stomach, exercise regularly, eat an anti-inflammatory diet, and make efforts for good quality sleep because it is during that deep sleep that testosterone levels rise. The verdict is still out on whether or not the ketogenic diet, magnesium, zinc, or vitamin D supplements may help with testosterone levels. The data is just too conflicting in all of those trials. But making sure that your diet is rich in magnesium, zinc, and healthy fats is always a good suggestion. Foods that contain magnesium, zinc, and healthy fats and have anti-inflammatory properties include flax oil, flaxseed, chia seed, hemp seed, walnuts, pumpkin seeds, almonds, beans, and green leafy vegetables. So I hope that this episode was interesting and helpful for all of you. I hope that by going through all this information, I was able to narrow it down to some final interesting and helpful conclusions for all of you. If you liked today's episode, then please take a moment to rate and review my podcast on whichever platform you are listening on to let me and others know what you think. Also, if you want extra tidbits of information throughout the week, feel free to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. I hope you all have a super healthy week, and I will meet you back here in the same time in the same place next week for another Listener's Request episode. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.